Rogue Party podcast. Sitting here in the studio, also known as my office, with the Ron Davidson. You know, my, my welcome my to the show, Ron. Th- thank you. My first name still, still. We've been working on this for several years, brother. My first name is two syllables. Hmm. For some reason, and I don't know what it is. Ron. Yeah, I think that, I'm saying Ron. No, that's one syllable. Ryan. Is that better? Okay, that's, Ryan. That's an overly Ryan. pronounced two syllables. What? I, I think, let the listener understand that there's nothing that one can do to un-Georgia make you happy. Make you happy. Hmm. So, hey, I thought we can talk about counselors, mentors, good places one goes to get advice. thought that's what we, we could talk about. Uh, the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like how in the spirit of getting us to the point, like every one of your sentences is like like two or three words. Like, well, I'm I'm so used to Twitter speak now uh, that I, I you know just let's move I us see. along. Let's I just see. go. Let's just go with it. I got but, you. Do continue. You know, I, just uh, biblical principle. There's safety in a multitude of counselors, right? right. That, that we shouldn't be islands. That it's it's not you. You and I have talked about the importance of corporate worship, gathering with the church, not being an island in that way, but. Also, like, just in the comings and goings of your life, like, it's good to have people speaking into the particulars of your life, or it's good to be able to have places that you can go for advice. Hey, I'm thinking about this. What, you know, you know me. How does that strike you? Or, you know, is there something that you're seeing that I'm not seeing? Or, you know, we're going to make this decision to... it, it could be something like, hey, we're going to go, we're thinking about buying this house, and you, mm-hmm. you kind of know our family well, and, um, you know, he, here's the cost, and maybe this person has information about your finance. Like, what what do you think about this? But there's, there's all these different scenarios which uh, could warrant the need for one having a counselor. And um, nine times out of ten, if you're making a decision in a vacuum... Yeah, uh, you're you're probably not making a good decision. Yeah, uh, uh, and also none of us see everything clearly, and so ha- having other people, other eyes on uh, your life, they can help to um, uh, point out maybe some blind spots or or older, wiser you know, mentors that have walked the road before you that can, you know, speak with experience about, you know, the little years with your children. But I thought we could talk about, one, the important, you know, the importance of that. And secondly, um, what one should look for in a counselor and then let me add a th- let me add a third piece, and maybe it's just more of a, or I'll I'll add the third piece later. But why don't we first talk about the the these two pieces of why is it important to kind of be surrounded with a multitude of counselors so far as it depends on you, and secondly, what should one look for in a in a counselor? Yeah, so I think you started us on the path of why it's important, mm-hmm. and that is that the the scripture reveals to us that there is often benefit and wisdom in not making decisions by ourselves, but having trusted wise counselors, both because we're not infinite, so we don't know everything, 
but B, sometimes people outside of us are able to see things that we don't, that we're blind to, even in our own circumstances. Uh, and so it would be, in many cases, you know, the, uh, the height of pride to think I can make all decisions without connecting to getting good counsel. Um, the, that's kind of the most immediate sphere. The, the next one out would be the implication of the Bible's call for us to be a part of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. So for believers, which I'm assuming most of the listeners of this podcast uh, are b- believers in Christ, um, we are part of a body of Christ. And if you just read the commands of the New Testament, we're to share our lives together in such a way that we're involved in each other's lives. And so an implication is going to be that we're sharing our lives. We don't necessarily have to get permission from every brother and sister in Christ for every kind of decision we make, but there's an implication there, a communal implication. So I think the Scripture gives us ample uh, command and implication to see that seeking good counsel um, is important. You know, And I would just say 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 14 and 15 seem to indicate that every believer in the body of Christ in the local church is going to be giving some kind of counsel to other believers. Now, it may or may not be good counsel. It may or may not be sound counsel. But there's sort of that picture there in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15, where the entire body is, um, you know, helping the weak um, and uh, encouraging the faint-hearted, speaking into their lives. So there's a biblical pattern there. Now, let me just say quickly what the answer to the second question, at least from my perspective— what should we be looking for? Well, as believers, generally speaking, we need to be looking for biblically sound and wise believers. What do I mean by that? Well, we're believers, so most of our decisions are going to be decisions which the world is going to call strange. We're strangers and exiles. We shouldn't assume that the world is going to be able to give us sound counsel, uh, the unbelieving world, um, about most things. So seeking counsel from believers, I think, is important. But biblical counsel, does the person that I'm getting counsel from, do they know the Scripture well enough to interpret it rightly and to apply it rightly to thinking about my circumstance? But even if a person is a believer and they know the Scriptures, does their life demonstrate a pattern of wisdom, right? Because you can have people that know theology well who don't really make Mm -hmm. wise decisions, Mm -hmm. right? So that's why I say biblically sound believers who are wise. Now, one caveat to that. I want to be careful not to say that any decision we have to make or any question we have has to always be asked of believers. Because I do think the Lord has given us two books, right? General Revelation, Creation, and Special Revelation, the Bible. And so there are going to be certain decisions that we can get sound counsel from unbelievers about. So, for instance, you know, if I had to have a, an emergency heart surgery— I would love it if my heart surgeon happened to be a Bible-believing uh, Christian. But if the heart surgeon, who spent over a decade studying the heart, um, is giving me counsel on, hey, Mr. Mr. Davidson, you really need to have open-heart surgery, my first question is not going to be, well, are, are you a Bible-believing Christian? Because if not, I can't take counsel from you, mm-hmm. right? So, so no, we, I'm not saying that every piece that we seek counsel from in the world, hey, what should I do, has to be from a believer. But I would say most of the decisions that we're going to face, we're going to want to seek out believing counsel mm-hmm. about those things. I mean, does that make mm-hmm. sense? I know it was a lot there, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you 
kind of reiterated both why it's important for us to seek counsel and then um, and, and and so just to kind of even summarize that one uh, there's biblical precedence for us to like it, it's yeah clear as to why we, we need we, it yeah as to why we need counsel right um, uh, and um, what you're saying is it relates to who we should seek out normatively speaking we're wanting spiritually mature people that we're seeking counsel from on various issues and 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 perhaps we could even add it's not necessarily every minute detail you're making on a daily basis Correct. before you make that decision Correct. you need to call somebody up and right. talk to them but you know i common sense would just say it's it's good to um when when you're making significant decisions to try to do that in a trusted community and then at the same time what you're saying is um in just god's common grace that there uh, may be people in our lives a financial advisor does a financial advisor have to be a christian in order to give you good sound advice about money and i think we would both say no right you know and um it would be great if they are and they had this um, kind of category of biblical stewardship, but that does not mean that those that are not Christians can't be of value when we're seeking out counsel. Right. Now, what of, um, you know, because this is something I've come across before, um, especially with um, just, you know, what generation are you? Mm-hmm. Mm. Can you remind me? Whatever's before a millennial, that's okay. me. So, is that the worst generation? Uh, I will not make judgment. I think it's I, called. Did, I think it was called the worst generation. So, the your generation, the worst generation, mm. millennials. I think these two generations, in some ways, in in the context of the local church, I've seen them get hung up, almost a theological snobbery. Right. So, so you're saying you I, see this of millennials? I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not trying to just single out millennials. It, you know, could just be a sinful man problem. But this is something I've noticed in kind of the millennial generation, and of which I I'm can't not. keep up with the generations in the generation after that. What is that? Gen Z? Is that where we are now? What are mm. we? Where are we? What happens after? Z? I think we need to research names before yeah. we confuse the listener. This is because we do no prep work before <laughs> we talk about this. <laughs> things on the show um but i i think that there can be a sort of um uh a pride that gets covered up um by knowing theology knowing theology this kind of pseudo spiritual maturity um and uh, and there's a danger in that because there can be a tendency to look around a church at gray, and gray hairs does not equal spiritual maturity necessarily, right? I, it, you know, it, it's a, um, um, you know, that that d- doesn't necessarily go hand in hand. But uh, I have found uh, in in certain cases people that come to me that are just they can't find a mentor, they can't find someone that will invest in them and. The more you kind of dig into things, you just realize you have you just have a pride problem. Like you, like there are some spiritually mature people that may not tick all your theological boxes um, that have lived. Have, there's this man over here that's been married to his wife and has lived with her in an understanding way for fifty years and has raised some kids that know and love the Lord. Uh, and you can learn from him. 
but he's not ticking all your theological categories, so you th- you you think you can't learn from him. Yeah, and and I found that to be a common barrier for young people looking for mentor relationships. Does that make sense? Have you found that to be the case? That people will not seek counsel from someone unless they have exactly the same theology yes. and know as much theology as that's they That's exactly right. Yeah, I, I yeah. think that's a—yes, I think that can be a challenge. Um, and, and yes, I think there can be a pride there. There can also be sort of a— in some cases, we have to be careful of not hiding our own immaturity mm-hmm. with uh, the shroud of theological knowledge. Mm-hmm. And what sometimes we need is we need the the counsel and ma- mature wisdom of people who, you know, maybe they couldn't recite as many reformers mm-hmm. or reformed confessions as we could, but their life demonstrates a clear wisdom in a walk with Christ. Yeah, And I think a pattern to, to say there is... I mean, think how many times the Scripture, particularly of leaders, but in the New Testament, the Scripture says in multiple ways or implies it, that people are to examine the life of their leaders, right? And so, you know, what does Paul tell Timothy? Keep a a strong watch on your doctrine and on your life, Mm -hmm. right? Well, how often do we consider that when we consider going to a person? Um, Do we just consider how much theology they're able to kind of talk about, right? while I'm on the subject, sometimes we can also get lost in debating and talking so much about theology, and that becomes sort of a cover for what we really need to be focusing on, and that is that we need to grow in maturity. We need to make wiser decisions, right? But we don't tend to see that in our life sometimes because we're battling theology on the internet, but we're not living a disciplined life at home. Yeah. Right. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we can get so hung up on debating theology, and, and when we, you kind of look underneath that, what could really be happening is we're deflecting from um, obeying some pretty clear thing. Like, we're we're living in, a, in disobedience, and, and we're trying to uh, distract ourselves and maybe distract others from the fact that we're living in disobedience. Um, and so I, I certainly think that that is... An issue. Yeah, I was reading this book recently that was um, uh, kind of working through some patristic literature and then also some medieval literature. And one of the things that was uh, kind of a some connective tissue throughout these writings that I was reading was this idea that there uh, that silence and humility go hand in hand. And, they uh, were they were affirming that they were affirming that yeah. the, these various well writings. that sounds proverbial right I mean, yeah that's in the proverbs yeah so. yeah and um, and I I just thought of that as it relates to you know, c- connecting that a little bit to to mentor relationships or, or seeking out counsel and and then kind of what you and I are have you know kind of gone off a little bit talking about just as it relates to. Uh, debating, arguing, using theological uh, kind of just uh, conversations as cover for what what's really going on and what really needs to be addressed at the heart level. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, um, like I, I think in terms of um, confession, repentance, or just someone who genuinely 
is coming to another brother or sister that is saying, I need some counsel, right? Uh, silence, if, the, if they're silent, the, 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 the person that needs to confess the sin or repent of sin or the person that needs to seek counsel about something, right? The, the physical act of the, mu- the mouth being closed um, is, is a good indicator. Uh, not always, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You, sometimes you, get the, you, you, you can get into this, um, I, I'm being quiet only because I'm thinking about what I'm going to say the moment their mouths stop moving, yeah. sort of, you know, you start spinning your tires there. But, but, but silence um, uh, in a lot of ways uh, especially a prolonged silence of, of, of listening and receiving counsel, uh, I, I think it's a good indicator of a, a willing, humble heart. Right. Um, and uh, and so, so I think that there's something to be said of um, we, 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 we have biblical precedents for needing to uh, have counselors in our lives, uh, we um, also need to look for people, the content of their character. Has their character been shaped by Scripture? Mm-hmm. You certainly won't biblically sound counseling, uh, but you need to come in humility knowing that some of the saints that may do you the most good may not tick all your theo- theological Right, you know your theological boxes. right, and we're not talking yeah. about heresy here. Yeah, we're talking about differences over yeah. second or third tier issues, yeah. even though those issues are very important. Yeah, right. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Can I can I receive counsel from my Presbyterian brother, though no. I may disagree? That's right. You know, can I be humble enough to see that this is. Um, this is someone who God has saved, and the the scriptures shape their character, and they've had longevity in their walking, in uh, obedience in the same direction, and 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 um, and do I have you know, am I willing to say uh, open handedly, this brother may know more than me, and this brother loves me and wants to speak into my life in such a way that he you know. Um, is going to do me good. God's going to do me good through this individual. Yeah. Or am I going to get so hung up in my own pride um, to do that? Uh, let me take us one other direction real quick. Or do you have anything you want to say no. on that? I'm, paint you a situation. I'm in, I'm in a church. No one reaches out to me. No one. No one asks me to coffee no one you know i like the these are kind of some common things one can hear in the context of the local church you know i've been coming to the church for a year and no one's asking me out for coffee or no one's asking me out for lunch um so how could i have that relationship when no one's asking me to do things with them or bringing me into their home what what would you say to someone who that that's the constant refrain that's kind of the they're stuck in repeat mode on that yeah well i mean i think my first question i'm assuming they're in a a broadly theologically healthy church Mm -hmm. right um but even then probably my first question is going to be what attempts have they made 
mm-hmm. at, at trying to uh, engage the people mm-hmm. in the church. Every church has a different culture. No church is perfect. Sometimes we're blind to the fact that we do certain things that prohibit people from feeling comfortable asking us to do those kinds of things. Mm. Um, you know, you may be in a particular church in one part of the country and everybody lives within a mile of the church and they all work within a mile of the church. So they're always getting lunch together. Mm-hmm. You do that for 10 years. Then you move to another part of the country and all of a sudden you're used to doing lunch twice a week with people from church and nobody's asked you. But you didn't stop to think about the fact that your church is now geographically spread out over 40 to 50 miles. Mm-hmm. And people aren't working with mm-hmm. each other. And so lunch together is just not something that they do because that's just they not, they can't do it. Yeah. So you really have to ask yourself, when when you say, no one is doing this for me, you may be right, but you have to also be equally aware of the possibility that uh, either in your own sin or through the influence of the enemy, you're focusing too much on yourself. Yeah. So if the question is, no one's ever reached out to me, my, my response is going to be, oh, well, tell me how you've reached out to others. Have yeah. you asked about it? Have you, have you sought to, to be hospitable yourself? Mm-hmm. Have you sought to you know, uh, consider reaching out? And not so much asking someone for coffee the first time and saying, hey, will you mentor me? Yeah. Right? But just spending time with people. Because you need to spend time with people yourself before you know, who should I ask about the deepest issues of my life? I need to know their life. Mm -hmm. I need to observe their life. So if you're in a church situation where you feel like people aren't reaching out to you, reach out to them. Mm -hmm. Get to know their lives. Uh, Certainly there are situations where you are in a church that's just uh, failing miserably at community and uh, is in sin because of it. But sometimes we can have our own kind of perceptions of what people should be doing for us. And the Bible sort of turns that around and always encourages us. How, what can we be doing for others? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, I don't know how you would answer yeah, that. Yeah, I, I would answer it the same way. I was just curious as to, to your thoughts. I, you know, I, I just find that when people are kind of stuck in that way of thinking, you know, most of the time it's, well, most of the time, I think if they were to look a bit more objectively, they would see how people are in their lives more than they realize. You know, I, sometimes I want to ask those types of people, like, what are the expect, like, what are the expectations, and are they realistic expectations? Yeah, and, and, there, and are, um, there are just some practical things too. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, again, we all have preferences, mm-hmm. but if if you're known by all of your preferences and you have so many preferences that people are scared of offending you in mm-hmm. your preferences, they may not ask you for dinner. Mm-hmm. If you if you're always talking about the, the latest diet that you're on and what you don't eat and how you think uh, you know food should be prepared this way and all of that and it's kind of not hard because to, it's of kind of hard to have you over yeah it's kind of it's hard kind to have you over if you're you the over. person that's so yeah. focused people are like I don't really want to offend yeah. right so you have to ask yourself do I practically do something yeah. that makes it more difficult are for people, people walking on eggshells around me exactly yeah right? they may not be yeah but yeah. No, those are good thoughts. Well, I want to fill you in because you brought it up. I noticed you, yeah. What, well, what, what were you doing over there? Well, I had actually <laughs> had several things going on in that moment. But just, just so we're aware, obviously, uh, the greatest generation, 
the silent generation, born between 28 and 45. The baby boomers, I 46. Wish, I wish you were the silent generation yeah, well, right now. Baby boomers are 46 to 64 of the 1900s. Then there's Gen X, and that's me, 1965 to 1980. Gen X. Then there's millennials, 81 to 96. That's you, my friend. Then there's Gen Z, which is 97 to 2010. And then apparently... There's some other kind of generation. See, I had Gen Z right. Next. What's the new? They haven't named it yet. There's one called Generation Alpha. I'm there has sure to be is. a COVID generation, though. Well, some, at some point, you know, in when do they start naming generations? Is it like 20 years well, in? The one I've got is uh, 1901 is when it starts because those are the no. I mean, how long? Do, how like how much time uh, passes before they name a new generation? I don't, I don't know that. I'll um, research that for you. Okay, but anyway, I'm Gen X. You're a yeah, millennial. Gen X. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. We'll leave it there. Vote for which one you think is the best. Who should <laughs> who should our listeners seek wisdom from? A Gen Xer or a millennial? <laughs> Let me just say this. Perhaps not a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we will be back to you in a week or two. Mm-hmm.